Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. He's gone. Or he will be gone in two weeks. Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, who we thought would never... Uh, leave office willingly. His fingernails will be clutching the desk as the impeachment votes rolled in in the state legislature. But that's not the case. Uh, Just finding out minutes ago as we record this that Andrew Cuomo will, in fact, be resigning. Glad you're with us. Your stool is ready. We do have bad and crazy martinis as well. But this is obviously the headline of the day. Jim, he fought this as much as uh, he could. But uh, the tea leaves... Uh, obviously uh, pretty clear at this point that he just didn't have the support in the legislature. You know if he did, uh, he'd be hanging on as as well as he could. But he did uh, leave us with a, a statement today. And, man, he's leaving the same way he uh, governed for the past nearly 12 years here. Uh, with all the moxie and the uh, brashness that he can muster, here's Andrew Cuomo explaining why he's leaving. Government really needs to function today. Government needs to perform. It is a matter of life and death, government operations. And wasting energy on distractions is the last thing that state government should be doing. And I cannot be the cause of that. New York tough means New York loving. And I love New York. And I love you. And everything I have ever done has been motivated by that love. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. Andrew Cuomo loves you, Jim. Well, at least he loves everybody in New York. I don't know if he loves us or not. Probably doesn't. But uh, this is something we thought would be a much fiercer fight. But in the end, everyone is telling him to leave, and he finally got the message. Greg, you don't have a bleep button, do you? <laughs> I can do it in post-production if I need to. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to keep it clean. But listeners, you know what I want to say. Soon to be ex-Governor Cuomo. Shut the hell up. Jeez Louise, stop whining and telling us how, first of all, yeah, we're in this pro, we're in this mess because of the way you quote unquote love New Yorkers, which is why you kept groping them. But what's more is, you know, this, uh, he also loves senior citizens, which is why we uh, uh, have so many uh, people in nursing homes who passed away from COVID-19. On the one hand, today is a triumph for the forces of truth and justice um, it is a well-earned comeuppance, and it is a um, needed cleansing of an extraordinarily corrupt political system. What is frustrating is that the you know narrative he is attempting to crafting attempting to craft here is, I'm living because I grew up to state trooper. What am I going to do? And he had the utter audacity, the sheer bleeping hubris, to claim that. He never thought he crossed a line. He hadn't realized how much the line had been crossed. Apparently, groping used to be okay, Greg. Apparently, it used to be totally okay to uh, kiss women without the permission. Used to be totally fine to uh, ask your staff about their sex lives and talk about your sex life with them and things like that. 
no, it was never okay. There was never something like your 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 women subordinates do not want to hear about the boss's sex life. Oh my god. So there is kind of this shamelessness here. And there's going to be this, hey, he was a little, you know, old fashioned with women, you know. Instead of you know, look, as bad as this was, and this is pretty appalling. What really you know, this was when you see the story in today's New Yorker by Ronan Farrow about he called up Valerie Jarrett at the White House and wanted the White House to get Preet Bharara, the U.S. attorney, off his butt. Um, the degree to which the, the nursing home thing, the just sheer regular disingenuousness, the attempt to intimidate lawmakers, the temper tantrums, all this stuff. This was a monstrous narcissist in office who, who was, a, you know, who, by the way, was highly enabled by the media and the ludicrous amount of gushing praise that they gave them that they should all be hanging their heads in shame over. That in the end, they liked the way he sounded on television. They have the most shallow, conceivable uh, criteria for assessing leadership that you could imagine. They could not be bothered to look at what was actually happening in the state of New York and in its nursing homes. New York State, by the way, is still, I believe, second in the country in deaths per capita. It is still, I believe, somewhere in that pretty high in that category of cases per capita. It is not great. It is just a, a absolutely appalling story in American politics. It is perhaps one of the most vivid examples of what has gone wrong with this country's national news media and the way we discuss our politics. That the man who that they spent almost all of 2020 telling us was the best governor in the country. I just went and I found U.S. News and World Report said he called him America's governor. That in the end, he was one of the worst and not just one of the worst governors in terms of uh, in terms of results. He also was among the very worst human beings out of all the nation's governors and probably in the entire system of politics. It's really infuriating. And I'd love to see somebody learn something from this. And I guess I can't. That's the bitter aftertaste of this good martini, Greg. I don't think anybody's going to learn any of this, anything from this. Probably not. There's so many uh, ways to follow up here, but we do have other Martinez, so I just want to get to them as quickly as we can. First of all, congratulations, Janice Dean. I don't think anybody beat the drum against Andrew Cuomo, mostly about the nursing homes, of course, because both of her in-laws died because of that ridiculous policy. But as she tweeted recently, I don't care how he goes, he just needs to go. So we'll see if there's any further investigation in New York on the nursing home situation that could uh, land him in more hot water. But uh, um Either way, he's leaving now. And the question now, Jim, is have you ever seen a more meteoric uh, collapse here of someone the media loves so much, especially someone in this position? I mean, you can have the Michael Avenatti's and other people who kind of just flash into our conscience briefly over a couple of years and and then uh, collapse like he did. But Cuomo, who's been around forever from this political dynasty family, uh, you know, celebrated everywhere last year. And then just uh, bam, 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 scandal after scandal. And all of a sudden he's he's hitting the bricks and he doesn't even have a house to go to. Greg, I think the only one that comes close might be um, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Wait, that's for next month's podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself. By the way, I don't know about you, Greg. I, I enjoyed our discussion, but I feel like there's a lot more meat on the bone. I just plan around eight o'clock tonight tuning into CNN to just get the whole story <laughs> and to see what, what what to get all the details to get exactly what's going on at eight o'clock on CNN. Chris Cuomo. Oh man. Well, and it's been found out that even after he promised CNN he wasn't advising his brother again, he still was in the wake of this uh, Attorney General's report. So. Uh, who knows how long he'll have his job. We will find out on that. Uh, Jim, it's been said this is not a joke that's original to me, but uh, since George Pataki left office as New York governor in January of 2007, so over the past 14 and a half years, there have been three governors of New York 
Two have been forced from office now for their wandering eyes, and the only one that wasn't was legally blind. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's a, <laughs> there's a coda for that one. We'll, uh, I'm sure, have more Andrew Cuomo grist uh, in the days ahead. Who knows? He might even change his mind and still try to fight. But uh, let's talk about uh, more good news, and that's how to get your student debt under control. Because with today's low interest rates, while they're still low, we've got an inflation problem here, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next Martini. It's a great time to refinance your student loans. Uh, Times are tough, and worrying about those loan payments don't make things any easier. And that's where refinancing them with Earnest could help. So say goodbye to stressful loots. So say goodbye to stressful student loan payments and take charge of your future with Earnest. Earnest offers low-rate student loan refinancing, and you can check your rate risk-free in just two minutes. With Earnest, you get radically flexible payments, and you can pick your loan term. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real-life human being at Earnest for help. Now isn't a time you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt. And right now, Ernest is giving three Martini Lunch listeners a $100 bonus. Refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. It's not available in all states. And again, terms and conditions apply. Visit Ernest.com slash martini for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Ernest Student Loaner Financing made by Ernest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917, California Financing Law License, number 6054788, 303 2nd Street, Suite 401N, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit Ernest.com slash licenses for a full list of licenses. All right, Jim, let's talk about that inflation problem because... Just before Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation, the U.S. Senate voted overwhelmingly to pass the $1.1 trillion infrastructure bill with 19 Republican senators signing on. 69 to 30 was the uh, final vote. All the Democrats who were there um, uh, were voting yes, and so did 19 uh, Republicans. And so that means that uh, when we look at this boondoggle, because you do have some infrastructure projects that need work, but as you've said before, the problem is usually over-exaggerated. Uh, but once you get past roads, bridges, airports, maybe a little bit of broadband, maybe a little bit of power grid, there's still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that's unrelated to any of that in here. And now Republicans are giving the Democrats political cover, and the Democrats are already licking their chops, getting ready for their $3.5 trillion bill that they have no intention of trying to get Republican support for. Yeah, one of the things that kind of becomes increasingly clear month by month of the Biden administration, and I don't think this is looking at the past through rose-colored glasses. So yeah, look, last time Republicans, conservatives were confronting a new Democratic administration. It was Barack Obama, who was you know, hope and change, and he'd won by quite a solid margin. And the Newsweek cover had, we are all socialists now, and all kind of stuff. But by this point, August of 2009, you had begun to see uh, the first uh, movements, motions, kind of you know, gatherings, things that turned into the Tea Party movement. And we're coming towards the end of summer of 2021. 
it's not quite the same. It just you don't see that kind of galvanized movement amongst conservative grassroots, Republican grassroots. They're just not as motivated by that. And that, I think, is one reason you're seeing Republicans buy on to these spending uh, bills in ways that they did not for the Obama stimulus in ways they did not for Obamacare and, and things like that. Maybe I, I get that too, for a lot of Republicans, this is the least damaging thing that Biden wants to do. But least like that's really you know just a small comfort because of the sheer amount of this and the likelihood that they're going to get um, another couple trillion tossed on through reconciliation. Um, fiscal conservatism really is dead, and there's really no you know there's very little sign that Republicans are even interested in returning to this. You know there are a variety of issues for this. I think the fact the pandemic isn't over is you know absorbing a great deal of the energy on the right, whether it's mask mandates or reopening schools or uh you know vaccine requirements and mandates and stuff like that i think i kind of wonder you know whether QAnon has absorbed a certain amount of folks uh, former president trump clearly still wants to uh he thinks he's getting reinstated in august and you know uh you know but we keep being told oh you know it's going to happen apparently this week is when it's coming um that uh, there's other things that are, are occupying the energy on the right and a lot of culture war stuff and as a result of it people aren't paying attention to a spending fight and I think it's going to, you know, long term, it's really going to hurt the country, right? We're already at $28 trillion of debt. We were, you know, a little bit over 20, which was horrible enough before all the pandemic related spending happened. And now we've just piled on and piled on and piled on. But of course, we were told, Jen, that this was going to be paid for. And uh, you explained that there was quite a bit of money left over from uh, the COVID relief to the states that could have been used to pay for this. But of course, we can't do that. There are some pay-fors in here, but uh, the I believe the majority of the bill uh, is just going to pile onto the debt. And, of course, then they really want to blow it up with uh, with the next bill. And, of course, this is what you get when you uh, vote for Democrats to have the majority. And you have Bernie Sanders uh, running the Budget Committee and pretty much setting the parameters for all this. So while Biden may have won the presidential nomination last year and the presidential election, uh, Bernie Sanders is the one kind of driving the train here. And that's really scary. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I guess an interesting question will be if Republicans have a good 2022, if they win back the House, if they win back the Senate or something like that, will they, you know, slam the brakes on spending or will there be kind of just a comfort with the status quo and, and Republicans mostly focusing on? Because you're going to tell you, you know, the status quo with this rate of spending is still very, very bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh with Republicans controlling Congress and Biden in the White House, I think they'll talk a pretty good game on uh, spending reductions. But if uh, Republicans then hold the Congress and have a Republican president in 2024, we've seen that movie twice now. We saw it from 2005 to 2007 and 2017 to 2019. Um, they're not serious about it, unfortunately. I wish they were, but they're not. All right. Uh, let's talk about something way better than that. And that's the great deal you can get on my pillow's six-piece towel set. MyPillow with great products. The pillows are great. The sheets are great. The slippers are great. But the MyPillow towel set, also fantastic. The towels, uh, whether it's the hand towel or the uh, bath towel, uh, super soft, really fluffy, big, gets you dry super fast. And again, massive savings if you order right now. You can get the six-piece towel set, which regularly sells for $109.99 for just $39.99. Now, each one of these sets has two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. These towels are made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent. They're soft to the touch without that lotion-y feel, and they're made from cotton grown right here in the United States. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes, machine washable, and they feature a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. 
So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. The MyPillow six-piece towel set for just $39.99. Now while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, mentioned in passing, 2005 to 2007, that was during the George W. Bush administration. And, of course, when he came into office, his number one priority was education. He was uh, famous for the No Child Left Behind Act. Uh, Conservatives definitely have conflicting opinions on that. But uh, his catchphrase during the 2000 campaign was his uh, clarion call against the soft bigotry of low expectations in our public schools. Well, those are alive and well, sadly, and the latest example of that is in the state of Oregon. The Oregonian, credit to them for getting this story out. For the next five years, an Oregon high school diploma will be no guarantee that the student who earned it can read, write, or do math at a high school level. Governor Kate Brown had demurred earlier this summer regarding whether she supported the plan passed by the legislature to drop the requirement that students demonstrate they have achieved those essential skills. But on July 14th, the governor signed Senate Bill 744 into law. Through a spokesperson, the governor declined again Friday to comment on the law and why she supported suspending the proficiency requirements. Now, Jazz Shaw over at Hot Air has uh, dug into this a little bit more. And he says, as to the reason for dropping all of these critical standards, it's based on allegations of racism, of course. The governor's deputy communications director said that dropping the requirements, quote, will benefit Oregon's black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. The obvious implication being that uh, however these standards are crafted is somehow unfair to them. So instead of improving their scores by making sure they understand what's being tested and so forth and just building those skills, which is kind of their job, we're just going to pretend those standards don't exist now so nobody has any problems getting shuffled right through the system. Jim? Greg, my first thought in response to that statement is, uh, so Oregon Asian Americans are having trouble passing this, these minimal standards? Really? <laughs> so some of the water there in Oregon? Because, you know, on a whole bunch of places in this country, Asian Americans are the ones doing phenomenally. Right? Thomas Jefferson uh, Science and Technology Academy here in uh, Fairfax County, they, had to, they recalibrated everything because the school was too Asian American. Some of us think you should just, you know, give everybody the same test, give everybody the same standards. The kids do the best, split them on in. Yep. But uh, no, that's 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 not fair, apparently. Uh, but then the second thing is, do you really think you're helping black, Latino, Latinx, Latina, and all these other groups by saying we're not going to have this standard anymore? We're not going to have any standards at all for you. We've, we've decided those minimal standards are too hard and that we're going to tell you that you've achieved without actually requiring you to achieve. Can we think of anything that is more likely to set people on a path for failure in life than to say, we will not hold you to any standards? That in the end, we've decided we have to lower the bar as far as we possibly can so that you feel good about yourself artificially instead of actually walking around with the pride of genuine accomplishment. I'm going to go out a crazy limb and find, say, yeah, Oregon's a big state. I'm fairly certain you can find some minority students who can who can pass these standards. In fact, I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch of them would do. I feel, I feel like this is actually just a matter of like just being uncomfortable with the figures. And the first way you solve a problem is you recognize that it's a problem. You don't sweep it under the rug. You don't close your eyes. You don't be an ostrich and put your head in the sand. You don't pretend it's not there. 
you acknowledge it. If the Oregon school systems are failing minority students so that by the time it comes for them to finish their education, head out into the world, they are not ready and they cannot meet minimal standards. That's not, you know, like, is it, you know, if you want to argue, okay, that's a racist system of education, then fix the racist system of education. A lot of us would say, you know what, might help school choice, give all kinds of minority parents the option of which school they want to send their kid to. Won't work for everybody. They're not going to work miracles, but by, you know, if you have a parent who's stuck with a school that they feel isn't giving their kids the best education, then they're probably going to have to say, you know what, let me send them to the, the, the uh, school on the other side of town. I like the, the results they're getting. And maybe the kids will get a better education. A lot of people who work in education say, look, everybody knows that if you're in a uh, wealthy neighborhood, uh, whether or not it's got, you know, private schools, that they basically wealthier neighborhoods, generally white, are the ones that are going to have excellent public school systems because the best teachers go there. Who goes to the other schools? The ones who aren't the best, in some cases, the worst. And the poorer the community, the more economic problems you have, the more likely it is local public schools got a whole bunch of problems, including the bottom of the barrel of teachers and the ones that have the lowest standards for the teachers. And if you have the lowest standards for the teachers, you're inevitably going to end up with the lowest standards for the kids. So Oregon, you know, look, they've, they've figured out what their problem is. We're just going to still, we don't like the measurements we're getting, so we're going to stop measuring. That's not going to do much good for the kids of Oregon. No, not at all. And it goes back to this thing we've talked about a couple of different times in, in recent months and uh, especially a couple of different times when Biden um, was way off base on the campaign trail. And that's that a lot of folks on the left, I'm not going to use a totally blanket brush, but Biden's certainly one of them and other Democrats are as well. They simply don't believe that certain people can achieve unless they basically get handheld by the Democratic Party. Remember Biden's uh, quote last year that poor kids are just as smart as white kids? I mean, that, where, where does that come from? And then we just had this whole fight over whether or not people of color are able to actually acquire a voter ID. Finally, now it looks like they're moving away from that uh, stupid argument. But it's just this. I don't even know what adjectives to use for it, but over and over and over again. Racist, Greg. <laughs> Racist is the word you're looking for. Yes, exactly. They just simply don't believe that you can achieve on your own. And I would find that incredibly insulting. Maybe they do. I don't know. But we don't hear much backlash to this kind of infantilizing of uh, one of their major voting demographics. It's just bizarre. Yeah, you kind of wonder if there's a certain amount of a white savior complex on the parts of Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, all those folks who basically believe your community has problems and your community cannot rise up above these problems without me and my help. You know, without me, you're, you're without me, you're nothing, which is not, you know, you, you don't see nearly as much resentment of that as I think there ought to be. But maybe there is you just see some shifting of these numbers uh, in a general sense. The fact that, you know, school choice has always polled phenomenally well amongst African-American uh, parents is kind of a clear indicator that they know what's best for their communities. For some odd question, though, the, the, uh, Demo- the Democratic officials who say they represent them just never seem all that motivated by this. Amazing. Quite a day, Jim. Quite a day. We'll see what uh, the news offers up for us tomorrow. Talk to you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
Conservatives have better arguments, but the left is much better at messaging. That is a big problem. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll discuss how to solve this challenge with acclaimed singer and actor Robert Davi and the new film about Hunter Biden he is directing. I'll also address the latest hysteria from the United Nations on climate change and a new big tech threat to our privacy. Join me. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.